Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for each one that is here. We ask you to do your work in our hearts and lives that we may truly worship thee this morning through the songs that are sung, Lord, through the preaching, and most of all, Lord, at the time of invitation that we would surrender and humble ourselves before you and go forth from this place living the way you would have us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please remain, if you would, and let's go to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 is where we're going to be starting this morning. We're going to be looking at the pleasure of God, what pleases God. In verse 11 of Revelation chapter 4, these two chapters are just a little peek Uh, into heaven, what heaven is going to be about. And heaven is not going to be about many of the things that we think. Heaven is going to be about God. And that's why we need to start preparing now to be ready for heaven. We've got to start training ourselves. We've got to start learning the things that please God and Verse 11 is a summary verse. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Let's read that one more time. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are, they are and were created. When we think of the word pleasure, oftentimes we think of being out in the country somewhere and just resting and being in a pleasant place or frequenting one of our fine bakeries or something or restaurants and finding some wonderful thing to enjoy or just shutting the door and all of the world's on the outside and I'm going to take a few moments and the neighbor turns up their stereo, right? I mean, when we think of pleasure, the word is talking about things that Please us. Now, this morning, what I want us to do is investigate the pleasure of God. It says right here, For thou hast created all things. Everything that is was created by God and was created with a purpose in mind. It was created for God's pleasure. Now, some have wrongly taken this verse and said, well, God created all things, therefore he created sin, and therefore sin is for God's pleasure. Now, we don't believe that, because the Bible doesn't teach that. Only a lawyer could come up with that, and a bad one, by the way. There are good lawyers. John Calvin wasn't one of them. You see, God created everything for his pleasure. But what has mankind done with that? 
You see, when you and I take the things that God has given us and we use them for our pleasure, we pervert the design of God. You see, when God designed something for his pleasure, it benefits everyone all at the same time. How many of you are glad that it rains on occasion? I mean, without rain, nothing would survive on earth. And yet, God filters all of the water and everything on earth. That water seeps down through the earth. It runs into the streams and out to the ocean and evaporates and comes back pure and clean. It's amazing what God does. Do you have to be saved to enjoy his pleasure? No, because God's good to everyone. Amen. The sun comes up. It warms us all. Even in the wintertime. You say, but it is, it's cold today. Well, thanks to global warming, right? Everything's the fault of global warming. No, don't believe in such a little God that man can mess him up. Amen? Amen. God is greater. He created everything for his pleasure. And when things are working toward the pleasing of God, we are the ones that are the most benefited. You know, we do things to please ourselves at our pleasure because we enjoy the benefit. Isn't that true? Now, God does things to his pleasure, but who is benefited? We are. In fact, I want us to turn to Isaiah 53, and we'll have this point illustrated just so clearly from the Scripture. I've talked with many people and over the years, and they'll say, Pastor, I, I, I want God's will for my life, but I'm just afraid of what that might be. Well, let me tell you something. If you could have God's will activated in your life, you would be the greatest beneficiary of that, that accomplishment. God can only want the best for you. In fact, that's the essence of faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he, what, is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have a hymn in our hymn books, and I try never to sing it, but it uh, it goes like this, so send I you to labor unrewarded, unloved, I mean, it's just one of those sad sack songs uh, that, you would think that the person who, uh, who wrote it was in great need of Prozac. Um, something to cheer them up. Let me tell you, if you could compare the little bit of suffering that's in this life to what God has laid up for those that believe in him, you'd be able to, as James chapter 1 tells us, to do rejoice when we fall into diverse temptation. The problem is we're looking at life the wrong way. We look at God as if he is trying to hurt us some way. And that is not true. 
Look in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, the pleasure of God. And verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his day, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Could we read that verse again? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now we think about the sufferings of Christ on the cross, do we not? And there cannot be an honest evaluation of what Jesus Christ went through without there at least being some sorrow and, and revulsion in our hearts as the things that he suffered. I mean, they pulled the beard out of his face. They beat him. I mean, I would dare say most of us in this room here today do not really know what it is to be pummeled across the face with violence at the unmitigated fury of another human being. And, and that's a good thing. I mean, uh, and I, I've heard people, well, my, my parents abused me, but they didn't do that. If they did, you'd be disfigured for life. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on that are cruel. But what happened to Christ if would have disfigured him for the rest of his life? But that's not what he came to do. He came to die. Amen. And it says here that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now, I, I can't comprehend that. I mean, as a, as a father... My job is to protect my children from harm. Amen. And sometimes we have to get right up there and, and uh, butt heads, as they say, and, and explain the meaning of the word no and enforce that. Because I want what's best for my children. I want to protect them from things that are in this world that are going to destroy them. And you have to work from the time your children are very little. Because those forces are out there. They want to start teaching your children things in kindergarten. That will undermine their faith in morality and in understanding of what is right and just. But I don't want harm to come to my children. And yet it says it pleased God to bruise him. In Genesis chapter 3, it gives the, the first prophecy of God, the first promise of the coming Redeemer. It says, thou shalt bruise his head and thou shalt bruise his heel. When they took that spike... And drove it through the ankles to nail a victim to the cross. The Romans knew exactly what they were doing. 
they would go through the soft tissue of the ankle bone and divide it and put the nail under the heel so that you would literally have to stand on the nail that held your body on the cross. That's what Jesus endured. Now, we can get all caught up in the physical sufferings, but that's not the greatest suffering on the cross, now was it? And yet here it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Can you, can you get a hold of those words? As Jesus was suffering as no man ever suffered because he was not only a hundred percent human being, he was the incarnate God, the creator of the universe. His understanding of pain and violence was far beyond that of any human being because he is God. And while he was suffering, it says... God was being pleased. Now that just doesn't compute, does it? And we go through here and it says, He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The first point I want to make this morning as we investigate what pleases God, what makes God happy, was for himself, for Jesus to suffer in our place. You see, it pleased God for Jesus to suffer because there would be those who would believe on Jesus and then we who have will escape that suffering. No parents are willing to suffer for their children, are they not? They're willing to go to any extent. It says here that God was pleased that Jesus suffered so that you and I could be freed from the eternal suffering of our sin. I don't know who first put it this way. I just heard it uh, repeated from another preacher. But the infinite God accomplished in one day what would take you an eternity in hell to accomplish. The pleasure of the Lord is the fact that He suffered in our place. You know, the Bible tells us, and we go through the Old Testament, and we start even at the Garden of Eden. God took those animals, the first living things that Adam and Eve saw killed as God took those animals and replaced their fig leaves, the work of man's own hands, with 
the coats made out of those animal skins. I wonder if Adam and Eve got physically sick watching the death of those animals. I I have a real feeling that they did. I did not grow up on a farm, but I've heard about those that have. And, you know, on slaughter day, uh, dinner wasn't a great big fabulous meal. Because... You might have three or four pigs and a, and a beef and uh, several animals that you were cutting up in pieces and getting... And man, that's a gory task. And yet every one of those sacrifices was a picture of what would happen to our Savior. Hebrews tells us, Above all, when he said, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Paul wrote in the book of Galatians that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. If we could look at history, it's one huge panorama that God has set up so that we could see how great his love for us is. That's why it pleased the Father to bruise him. Because if we will accept his suffering as the payment for our sins, we can escape the judgment of God. Much more than that, we can be adopted into his family. We become joint heirs with Jesus Christ through the suffering of him on the cross. That's the pleasure of God. I'm glad he's bigger than I am. Amen. I'm glad he was willing to go through all of these things just to show you and I how much he loved us. Man has many ideas and many men have gone to great extremes to demonstrate and to prove their love for fellow human beings. But no one's ever gone as far as Christ has gone to show God's love to us. Amen? All the law says is to prove to us that Jesus is God's sacrifice for our sins. Now I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And by the way, we're we're not going to come up with anything new today. But it doesn't hurt to be reminded of what we already know. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's another thing that pleases God. Let's look at verse 21. It says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The wisdom of God 
says that because the wisdom of man excludes us from the salvation that God gives, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. See, men love to exercise themselves in high things, do they not? Uh, I mean, just watch this political things that go on in our country today. They were reading the Constitution of the United States in the House of Representatives. What a novel idea. I mean, who would have ever thought such a thing could have happened in the United States of America? And they couldn't read certain parts of the Constitution you heard about that because they might be offensive. There, there was a, an amendment that was made. It was a compromise early in the Constitution that counted slaves as three-fifths of one person. How many remember that? Now, how many know what the purpose for that is? You see, common sense says, or well, not common sense, excuse me, common ignorance says that well, they didn't consider the slaves as real people, so they only gave them three-fifths of a count. No. It was a statement made by those who believed in freedom that if you're going to treat these people as slaves, you can't count them as individuals. And if you want them to be counted as individuals, then you can't treat them as slaves. Why would that be offensive to anyone? It's because of the foolishness of people who call themselves wise. And what it does is it pushes us further away from the truth, does it not? That's why we're spending our way out of our indebtedness. Don't try that at home. I don't want to be visiting you at Rikers, all right? You cannot get out of debt by spending more money. But the wisdom of the wise, I mean, the smartest man in the room said, this is the way to do it. I always get nervous when someone says, oh, he is so smart. <laughs> he just knows what to do. I've seen what those smart people do. God calls it foolishness. What man calls wisdom. You know, man has become so smart that he realized he came from a monkey. Boy, that's smart. My favorite saying is, you got to go to school and be trained to be that dumb. Amen. It doesn't come natural. But God wants to take something the world considers foolishness. The preaching of his word. I mean, have you ever really evaluated what preaching is? I mean, I, as a preacher, I, I stand here amazed that anybody would show up on Sunday morning. 
Because we'll take 45, sometimes 50, 60, 70 minutes and just talk about the Word of God. Holler a little bit. Try to make you think about the, way, the words in this book and how they apply to your life. Does that make sense? God said no. He says, in my wisdom, I'm going to take something the world considers foolishness. And I'm going to use it to see people get saved. You see, that's how the message of what pleased God on the cross of Calvary gets out to the world in which we live. That's why we have a service. We have preaching. Because it pleases God. And we want our church to be a place that pleases God. That's why we'll never replace the preaching with a rock band. Or even a good music concert. I believe in good music. I love good music. But let me tell you something. There is no substitute for the preaching of the word of God. And yet I pick up, well, I don't pick up because I know what the books say. Uh, I read the magazines. I hear the articles. They're always looking for some new way to reach people. Let me tell you, there's no new way to reach people if you're going to be with the Bible except the foolishness of preaching. We just got through the Christmas season how many of you like Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol? Isn't that just a wonderful story? Never happened, though. Can't happen. You see, no person will be convinced by speaking to the spirits and other voices that are out there says, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced though one rose from the dead. You have someone you want to win to the Lord, someone whose soul you are burdened about, give them Bible verses. Learn the Bible well enough that you can just quote it. There have been many times I've asked... May I get out my Bible and just show you if it, oh, if you could just quote it, that would be okay. Okay, I'll quote it to you. Because people are afraid of this book. But let me tell you something. The power is not in the paper and the ink. It's in the words. And so use them. Give people the word of God. Now, we're careful here. We do not believe that there ought to be a, such a thing as a lady holding the office of pastor. The Bible teaches that. And we often joke when we have ladies meetings. My wife always gets really upset. I said, 
preach to them. She says, I'm not a preacher. But it's okay for ladies to preach to ladies. You say, why? Why does the Bible make a big deal about that? Well, you'll have to ask God when you get to heaven, but that's just the way God ordered things. And I, I for one, am very glad that God is against that because if he allowed that, most of us guys would be without a job. We're not saying that you can't do a better job, ladies. What we're saying is we want to do it God's way. But in the truth, in the simplest form, each one of us need to give God's word. That's what preaching is about. Telling people what the Bible says. And in that definition... Every one of us in this room needs to go about telling other people, preaching the gospel. How many of you have ever... Don't you preach to me. Hey, if you're a parent, that is your job. 24-7. Don't ever give up. The Word of God will do what no other person can do. Keep at it. Don't give your opinions. Give God's opinion. It's the foolishness of preaching. That's why our church is about preaching. That's why we don't have big giveaways. Uh, I was visiting a church a while back and... Wow, it was scary... Everything was about, this was a big Sunday, and I mean, they were giving away shopping bags full of stuff and a, uh, a three-day vacation here and a, uh, this and a that and the other thing. And man, I was going, have I gone to church or to a flea market? <laughs> you see... If you allow anything else into a service, the preaching will be diminished. Because it's the easiest thing to get diminished. That's why we don't give announcements before the preaching. You come, we sing. I mean... Right, song after song, we pray a couple more songs and right into the sermon because we don't want anything to detract from what pleases God. And by the way, if you can't humble yourself to accept the foolishness of preaching, you'll never humble yourself to be saved. Because you've got to let go of the wisdom of man to embrace the wisdom of God. Because they're headed in opposite directions. What does Romans chapter 10 tell us? Let's just turn there for a minute. We're just going to skip down through the chapters this morning. The verse, this chapter, was just pick up. But let's read verse 8, Romans chapter 10. Verse 8, it says, But what saith it? 
The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The word is nigh thee. You don't have to go hunting for the word of God. But let's look down here. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And by the way, how shall they preach except they be sent? It says that God has used the foolishness of preaching to save them which are lost. That's his pleasure. Because God loves to laugh at the people who think they know everything. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that you cannot attain to the righteousness of God by things that you can understand and comprehend and do. Have you ever met somebody that was well accomplished in something? I mean somebody who was semi-famous. I hate to be rude, but most of them are just arrogant snots. Isn't that true? The guy said, it ain't boasting if it's true. Uh, Excuse me. Yes, it still is. Because you couldn't pick up a pencil. You couldn't even take a breath except for the goodness of God that he has given you the power to do that. I don't care what accomplishment you have accomplished. You need to look to the creator to whom was pleased in bruising his son so that you would not have to suffer. Whom is pleased in the foolishness of preaching that you might hear his word and believe. Let's just look at one more passage this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 18, it says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. Paul said it in the book of Ephesians, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, Amen. It is God's pleasure that we should serve him in his church. Let's try that again. It is God's pleasure that we should serve him in his church. 
Do you get that? You see, we wonder where we're supposed to serve God and what place we're supposed to have in our service for God. And, and oftentimes we struggle with this and we say, what, what can I do? And yet when God explains his church, he always uses the picture or the physical representation of the human body. Now, when I was a kid, I thought I remembered in science class hearing that the human body was made up of about three billion cells, which was far more than I could comprehend. But my kids are studying today, and in their book, it says the human body has 10 trillion cells. Now, I don't know where the numbers got raised, probably because we've got a little more sense of equipment to figure out a little more. Who knows, maybe the number will continue to go up. I don't know. But all you have to do is disturb just a few thousand of those cells with a little splinter. And all 10 trillion cells are upset about that little splinter sticking in the end of your finger. You ever wonder how that works? Well, it's real simple. It's connected. You ever seen a little puppy or a cat chase its tail? Every once in a while, they'll get a hold of it. And just about the time they're clamping down real hard, they find out that that tail is actually attached. <laughs> I've seen little puppies do that. It's absolutely hilarious. But it's not so fun when you're an adult trying to figure out life, chasing your own tail. That's not fun now, is it? If you are a thinking person at all, you have spent a great deal of time trying to figure out what you're supposed to do with your life. Isn't that true? Now, it has pleased God to solve this problem automatically by putting you in a place of service in his church. And you say, how do I figure that out? Well, it's real easy. Let's go back to the picture of the human body. Your body, which they say is 10 trillion cells, started out with just one cell. And now it has developed. Were there battles going on in your mother's womb as that little baby developed, as you developed, trying to figure out which set of cells was going to be the liver and which set of cells was going to be the heart? Did the nervous system cells fight with the cells of the circulatory system? I want that job. I don't want to just sit here and feel pain. I, I want to do something else. No, it all happened without one bit of argument, didn't it? I believe in spiritual DNA. But you know what? In order to find out what God has for you, you've got to be there. 
Amen. God doesn't use unfaithful people to serve him. God heals anyone who will come to him to be healed. He forgives any sin that you are willing to confess and bring to him. And he wants you to serve him as long as you have life. It might not be what you think you ought to be doing. But that's okay because if you're serving God at his pleasure, then he's the one that's happy and he's the only one that matters. We have got to learn how to take our pleasure and attach it to his pleasure. Now, Lord willing, that's going to be the topic of next Sunday's sermon. But we have to look at what pleases God first. You see, it pleased God to punish Christ in our place because the pleasure of the Lord, the salvation of souls, was going to go forward if Christ suffered in our place. Amen? It pleases God through the foolishness of preaching because we have to surrender our wisdom and our thought processes and give up on our uh, reception or comprehension of reality to believe in God's. And that's how he saves us. And once we've done that, we've got to learn to serve him, his way, through his church. And you know what? That solves a whole lot of problems. Because I don't have to worry about taking my spiritual gift assessment test and finding out what my spiritual gifts are. Because God will naturally give you the gifts that you need to serve Him where you are. By the way, spiritual gifts are not natural abilities. I've met too many over the years. Well, Pastor, I've just... I just have a, 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 a real ability to teach, I believe, and God would use me as a teacher. In fact, I remember talking to someone years ago, not in this church, and they said, well, my spiritual gift's teaching, and there just aren't any positions, so I can't exercise my spiritual gift. Well, it didn't take me too long to figure out. They had some other gifts, but they weren't from the Holy Spirit. They were too busy exercising the rift of the growly host instead of the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's a scary thing. But when we serve God at his pleasure, you know what that does? That means he's got something for me to do. I don't know about you, but I don't like to just sit around and watch other people work. I like to get things done. How about you? But God has a place, but it's got to be at his pleasure, in his way. It says here that he has, it says, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body. 
as it hath pleased him. Stop trying to figure out what God wants you to do and start doing what God's already told you to do. By the way, that's why we give out the daily Bible reading schedules. Because that's what God's told you to do, is be in his word. Amen? That's why we have services with preaching in them. Please don't misunderstand. I don't believe I'm the world's greatest preacher, but I do preach the world's greatest book. It is God's pleasure to put us in a place where we can serve God and the devil loves to come along and sit on your shoulder and tell you how insignificant you are. There is no such thing as an insignificant servant of God. That's why he told him, even a cup of water, if it's given in my name, is not going to be unrewarded. The problem is we waste our time trying to do something that we believe has a higher profile or more worthy of our efforts. When all we need to do is serve God where he set us. Let me tell you, God will not promote you to your level of incompetence. That's what happens in the world. You do a good job, get a promotion. Do a good job, get a promotion. Do a lousy job, and that's where you stay. God doesn't believe in that. He puts you where he can use you. Because his pleasure, if you could realize it, should be your greatest desire. Because it would be the most wonderful thing that ever happened to you is to fulfill God's pleasure in your life. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us as we think about this. As we think about what makes you pleased, what your pleasure is. Lord, we're thankful that Jesus died in our place and suffered in our place, that we could be free from those sufferings. Lord, I'm thankful that we can leave the wisdom of this world and embrace the foolishness of the preaching of your word to know how to be saved. And Lord, I pray for each one in this auditorium this morning that if there is one here that does not know you as their Savior, that they would be willing to believe the foolishness of preaching and believe the sacrifice of Christ that they might be saved. Lord, I pray, especially for those who are members of our church, that we would just allow you to put us where you want us that you would fit us together, that we may serve you at your pleasure. Lord, you could get so much more accomplished through our church if we would just serve you your way instead of ours. We ask you to mold us and make us that we may bring glory to your name.
We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom during this time of invitation to convict us and show us our need and our failures that we may be set in that place that would please you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.